A lot has happened in a week. We've got the new Evil Dead teaser, Iron Man 3's got a trailer, a brand new one for Django Unchained, a great episode of The Walking Dead, and some more comic book news on Geekscape. Uh, what's up guys? Sorry about the week delay. Um, I want to get more Geekscapes out to you guys more frequently, but things have been busy. Um, where do I start? Well, uh, let's just start with what's been eating up my time. Uh, we started doing a little bit of Doc of the Dead shooting. I talked about it in the last podcast that that was going to happen. Um, and it did. <laughs> Thursday we shot some Doc of the Dead stuff. We prepped a little bit on Wednesday. Went down there uh, to San Diego and shot some additional Doc of the Dead stuff. I want to tell you guys about it, but I also want you guys to see the film and be surprised by some of it. This is a Geekscape co-produced film. This this movie uh, is going to have the Geekscape logo in front of it. Later on this week, you guys are going to get the, Geek, the uh, Doc of the Dead trailer. You'll see that the Geekscape logo is in front of it, along with our partners, Exhibit A Pictures, who did People vs. George Lucas, and... Uh, Red Letter Media, who are also co-producers of the movie. But Doc of the Dead has been taking up some time. Uh, we wanted the trailer to launch today, but uh, we also need it to be in conjunction with a Kickstarter campaign, which is going to start our initial funding. So just getting the Kickstarter right, getting that whole thing together, that's the cause of the delay. The trailer has been done for a while now. Um, and I, I don't know. We'll see what you guys think about it. But, yeah, we've been shooting it. We've been chopping it. We did some editing on the documentary today, the segment we shot last week. And then, um, I, I don't want to talk too much, but uh, this is phase two of Geekscape. I mean, let's let's be real. I mean, for the last, first five years of Geekscape, we had the podcast. Uh, we had the website. We had our, you know, some of our live events, like our Comic-Con stuff and this and that. We tried to do some, some in-person community things. But... I started getting like a real scratch, uh, a little real itch. Sorry, I started getting a real itch that needed to be scratched. And uh, I would get myself into these fits of depression where literally I was starting to question like what the hell I was doing. Not really running the website. I love running the website. I love having you guys and I love having Geekscape as a brand. But the filmmaking just wasn't happening. Uh, yeah, I was shooting projects, but I was shooting projects for other people. And now it really feels like George and I are starting to turn Geekscape into what we wanted Geekscape to be, which is a brand that was synonymous with sharing news, sharing excitement, doing a, a lot of community stuff. And it's still very much in its nascency, even after five years, almost six years. I, I still think, see Geekscape as very much in its nascency. Um, hopefully this next phase changes things. So um, we're working on, let's see, the project we have. We have Doc of the Dead. And you guys will get your first glimpse of that later this week. Um, I kind of include the project of my brother in there because it's ours. And, you know, we're, we're editing that. And we shot some of that. We're editing that. And then um, then the other theatrical idea, which is Gay White On, which um, we're, we're starting to spend money on. <laughs> we're starting to hire people. So, uh, shit, we're going past the point of uh, no make your money back. You know, in filmmaking, there's that you just invest money after a point. After a point, you just start hire, have to hiring people. Uh, you just start hiring somebody to do things that you either don't have the time to do or can't do, like artists. You know, and once you start hiring those people, you better hope that that train gets to the destination because it's left the station. And if you know, if, if you leave the train out there, you've lost a ton of money and you have to walk back. 
and your tail's between your legs. You're like, man, we started this movie and it didn't really get too far and everybody was just excited and, and then they stopped being excited and then it kind of ran out of money and steam and now we have to walk back. So we're, we're in the starting to spend money phase on, on Gabe and on. I guess we're, we're, shit, we're spending money on all of them. So we got to see them through. And those are, those are Geekscape projects. So um, if I'm writing less, if I'm doing podcasts less, I'm not doing Geekscape any less. I'm I'm doing Geekscape just as much, but it's you know projects that are what the brand is designed to do, which was it was so designed to support bigger projects that we can all share in. Does that make sense? Like, you, like I think you guys will be fans of this stuff because you guys have stuck with Geekscape and my sensibilities this long. This is all born out of that, you know. So um, it's a very exciting time. It's phase two beginning of phase two of Geekscape. Let's bring it on with Doc of the Dead, Paul London, and uh, hopefully Gabe right on, which it's, it can't even be hopefully anymore, or else, or else I'll just be like, why do we spend that money? Um, speaking of phase two, we got to talk about the Iron Man 3 trailer that hit. Let's really get into the news that came off of Geekscape.net. A lot of it hit today. This is, what, it's Tuesday? I've been wanting to record podcasts earlier, like last week, this week, but I just haven't had the chance. Um... Uh, we thought, again, we thought that Kickstarter was going to launch today, so it didn't. Now I've got some, like an hour of free time. Um, the Iron Man 3 trailer. We got it up on the website. Sean Madden, our diligent, awesome writer, threw it up right at midnight when uh, the thing hit. And Iron Man 3, what do you guys think about this trailer? I know what I think of the trailer. Um, I think it, it looks just as promising as the last two Iron Man movies. One of the Iron Man movies, Iron Man 1, was fulfilled that promise. Iron Man 2, you know why it buckled. It buckled in a couple places. But still, I like watching that movie. I think it's got some interesting parts. Um, uh, this one, I really... I know what I think, but uh, I, I can't even estimate how accurate it is. Uh, but I want to throw something out there. Uh, and this is what we've been talking about on our Facebook. If you're not a Geekscape fan on Facebook, then go ahead and like that page. But uh, Sean Madden took a screen grab and he posted it of the back of Ben Kingsley's neck. He plays the Mandarin in the movie, and there's a couple of brief shots of him in the trailer. And on the back of the Mandarin's neck is this, it looks almost like the Captain America shield, and it's, it's a tattoo on the back of his neck. And it's very brief in the trailer. You can catch it right before the shot where you see his face, I believe. And... Really, like, blinky-miss-it moment. But Sean paused it on there, because Sean is diligent, as I said. And we're all kind of thinking, like, what, what is that? What, what, what the hell is that? It looks like the Captain America shield. It's a little blurry, because uh, it literally is, like, a three-frame shot. And, uh, and here's, what, here's what our buddy Joe uh, threw out. And even though he works in post on the films, he, you know, he, this is not insider's information. Uh, this is just fanboy positing. Okay, so the Mandarin has maybe ties to AIM, who are the villains in the movie. We know that because we've seen some spoiler images of the men in the bee suits, or at least their uh, their vehicles. Uh, but is AIM tied to Hydra in the Captain America movie? Like, is Marvel creating a is is Marvel creating a network of villains in the same way they created a network of heroes for this Marvel Phase Two? Because uh, that would be really cool. You get uh, Hydra and AIM working together. The whole uh, Winter Soldier title of Captain America 2. Why not? Why not have uh, Hydra uh, or you know work with AIM to be responsible for uh, Bucky's return as a Captain America villain? Um, 
that would be a, a threat that I think would be really interesting in a future Avengers movie for the Avengers to, you know, if Thanos is like the villain in the, in the Guardian of the Galaxy movie, which who knows, uh, why not have this uh, equivalent to the Avengers of villains in the Avengers 2 movie? That'd be pretty badass, I think, to have the villain equivalent of the Avengers be the bad guys in the Avengers movie. Yeah, fanboy squealing right there. It's worth it's worth thinking about. Why not? I mean, they built the hero equivalent. Why not? Why not go for this in Phase Two? Um, speaking of the Winter Soldier, uh, Sean posted a, an article that Frank Grillo, he was really great in End of Watch. He was also awesome in The Gray. He was the trainer and warrior. He's really an awesome actor. He's in talks to be in the Winter Soldier, Captain America Two. The idea, the rumor really is that he would play Crossbones, who's the um, sniper, assassin, all-around badass uh, in the Captain America movie. That'd be awesome. I think he'd be an amazing crossbone, so I'm giddy for that. Also, speaking about uh, Phase 2 of Marvel, Ant-Man starts shooting in January. They've set a January start date. I know, I'm, I've told you guys on this show, I don't have to repeat it. I'm really excited for Ant-Man to shake up the visual uh, landscape of the Marvel movies right now. They all sort of kept that Iron Man look. Let's see what somebody who has some really fun visuals like Edgar Wright can do with a, a Marvel movie. Sort of maybe meet them in the middle. You know what I mean? Uh, a mix of Marvel style, a mix of the loud Edgar Wright style. And maybe I only say loud Edgar Wright style because Scott Pilgrim was such a vibrant, loud movie visually. But, hell, I, I think let them run with it. Let, let, um, you know, let, let, let these different directors you have coming out of the movie shake it up. Shake it up. I mean, what could happen? What's the worst that could happen? You make a few billion dollars less. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, if you're going to get James Gunn, trust the guy. If you're going to get Joss Whedon, you saw what happened when you trust the guy. And if you're going to get uh, Edgar Wright, trust the guy. Let's see what they can do. Um, okay, so that's Marvel. I think we're all excited about it. But it is not the only trailer we posted on the site. We also posted the Evil Dead teaser. What do you guys think of this Evil Dead re- re- uh, remake teaser that we've got up on the website right now. What do you guys think of this? Does it piss you off? I'll tell you what I think of it. I like it. I think it's cool that there's a female Ash. I think that it's modernized. It's a new it's a cool take on Evil Dead. And if it t- if it ever ticks me off like if I if I just am pissed off watching it in the theater, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home and I'm going to watch the Evil Dead 1, 2 and 3 DVDs that I've already got. You really can't argue with that logic. If you're disappointed in the Evil Dead remake, which you don't even know if you're going to be disappointed in it, so don't don't pass judgment yet. Uh, if you end up disappointed about it, well, guess what? You still have three good Evil Dead originals that you can watch. Make yourself feel better. Sound good? Great. Uh, we put a second Django Unchained international trailer up on the site. It's worth watching. I love that script. Um, I can't wait for that movie. It's really a great script. Um, Arrow. Arrow's getting better. Which I thought we, we thought it, you know, I, we, we all kind of thought it would get better. Uh, a cool action sequence in this one where he protects the love interest and slowly slips to his bodyguard that he's Arrow, or at least has some not just normal guy powers, you know what I mean? Like, like he's able to, you know, he's just a marksman, and he shows that he's a marksman, and he passes it off as luck, but the, his bodyguard who he ended up saving in this action scene is not so sure. So who do you guys think is going to be the first to find out that the vigilante arrow is the same as millionaire playboy not bruce wayne oliver queen 
You tell me. Uh, the more that they show of the island, I think the, the more interesting. But at the same time, if they just explain all the island, they're going to run out of running room for any mystery. So I like what we're seeing in the island. The reveal at the end of the episode is pretty cool that, uh, it, you know, it goes kind of back to uh, Arrow Year One. There's a lot of stuff going on in the island. I don't know if you guys ever read Arrow, uh, not Arrow Year One, uh, Green Arrow Year One. If you guys ever read that, there's a lot of stuff going on there that I think they're pulling from. So that is definitely um, promising. Arrow's becoming more promising. Walking Dead. I think we just got our best episode of The Walking Dead. Let me know if you agree with me. At Jonathan Leonard on Twitter. Did we get the best episode of The Walking Dead this past weekend? The second episode of the third season had the uh, Rich, Rick and the, um, and the entire team cleaning out the prison trying to find, uh, you know, basically they had to come to to terms with the criminals that were still, the prisoners that were still in the prison who they revealed at the end of the first episode and they're going to have to share the prison. Is it going to be a nice sharing? No. (laughs) It's going to be nasty and this episode got really nasty. This is Rick at his most hardcore. Uh, You start to see Carl become a bit more hardcore. Carl is basically becoming... Um, everyone's favorite character, uh, Daryl. What's really cool is every time you see, I mean, Carl just admitted to wandering the prison in this episode and killing a couple walkers. Carl's a badass. Carl is a serious badass. And the only question with Carl is, why is his hair growing so fast when uh, what's-her-name is, is still kind of clean, like has a shaved head? Like, everybody's hair is growing at different lengths. Or they just need to throw, like, maybe on, a, on, like, an episode opener, just, like, a quick shot of somebody getting a haircut from someone, somebody else. And we're like, oh, okay, some of them are getting haircuts, some of them aren't. Um, they probably all stink. But if you just explain, hey, we're, we are cutting some of their hair, I think uh, I, I, we, don't need, we don't need an episode about it. Just a, just a little address the upkeep here. Because Carl, his hair is growing like a, like a chia pet. And not everybody else's is. You also have a little bit more from Beth. So, so at the end of the last episode, Herschel, who in the comics isn't even in the prison, he's back on the farm, uh, you know, Herschel ends up getting his leg amputated. He drops, you know, he goes unconscious. In this episode, it was cool because Lori does something. She actually saved him, which, yay, Lori did something. But Beth is arguing with her sister that to fight for her life, you know, fight for Herschel's life. Don't give up on him so much. Don't give up on him so much. Isn't this the same girl who wanted to commit suicide last episode, like last season? She totally, there was that whole episode where she just wanted to kill herself. Maybe, maybe that's, that's what it is. Maybe she, she discovered the value of life. Life is worth living in a zombie world. Um, but you know what? I'll stand by it. This is the best episode of Walking Dead that we've had since the, the, the pilot. This was a great episode. I, I really enjoyed it and had tons of promise. If you guys are Walking Dead fans, you guys need to be reading Derek's uh, Walking Dead uh, Weekly, which he's putting up on the website. This is our writer, Derek. He's basically, the Monday after every episode, he's assessing the episode, telling you what, you th- what he thought, and then he's comparing it to the comic. So things like Herschel still being back on the farm and not being the character whose leg was amputated. He's pointing that out to you. Uh, whose leg was actually amputated in the show? Was someone's leg amputated or... In the or in the comic, in the comic, I think just Rick lost his arm and they cut Rick's arm off, which I'm still waiting to have happen. Um, 
so what, what, what Derek's doing is, if you guys have read The Walking Dead, but kind of forgotten the book a little bit like I have, uh, because it was years ago that you read those issues, um, Derek's comparing and contrasting the comic as well as giving analysis of each episode. I think it's great. It's really cool. Um, the video game is still the best Walking Dead. We will stand by that. Also, uh, Mondays is a good time to be checking out Geekscape because uh, we've also got Sean Madden. He's, he's been publishing the weekly pull list where he's kind of ranking what he's pulling every week out of the comic book uh, stuff. Talon. I'm looking forward to Talon. A lot of people were kind of fatigued after the Night of Owl, uh, the Court of Owls uh, thing in Batman, the, the multi-issue art Night of the Owl, uh, Court of the Owls. It introduced this idea that there was this assassin named Talon, and da 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 da. He turned on the owls because, of course, he doesn't want to assassinate a baby and his mom. So now he's got his own book. Batman spinoff gets his own book. Uh, the only trouble I have with it, and I do like Talon, I will read this Talon book in the new DC 52. The only problem is how many assassin stories go like this? There's an assassin. He was trained. He's the best there is at what he does. Uh-oh. The next job is assassinating a baby. He doesn't do it. He stops being an assassin. The, the league of assassins that trained him turn on him, and now he's on the run protecting the innocent. That's about 75-80% of every assassin movie or every assassin story. It's all, he was a badass assassin. He was a cold-blooded killer. Then he met the target that was innocent baby, defenseless woman. He decided not to do it, which pissed off his employers. Now his employers want him dead because he's a liability. What are the other 25% of the assassin stories? Can you think of them? Because I'm telling you right now, 75%, 80 of those percent of those assassin stories are, he's the cruelest man in the world. Then he saw a baby. <laughs> He'd kill anything. This guy didn't see something he didn't want to kill for money. And then he met a baby. If your life is putting bullets in things for money, is a baby really going to stop you? <laughs> I mean, has anybody thought of that shit? Like, that, that's Talon's story. That's the story in this Batman book, which I'm still going to buy. He was an assassin. He was a badass. And then he met a baby. Baby changed everything. If anything, like... If you're a hardcore, like, soulless killing machine of an assassin and you meet a baby, that baby's a speed bump. <laughs> like, like, that baby's where you get creative, all right? Like, imagine that. You're this killer assassin and you're like, you know what? I have to use bullets with the badasses. I get hired to kill mafia people. I get hired to kill bad people who know how to kill me back. So I use bullets from a distance for those people. I have to kill a baby? Shit, this is going to be fun. You save a bullet on the baby. On the baby, you get creative. You know what I mean? You can do all sorts of shit. You can throw them up in the air, throw them against a wall. You can play with them, take parts apart. Like, keep in mind, these are cold-blooded killers. Oh, no, they've got to have a moral code. If they had a moral code, what fucking bullshit life choices do they make that ended with them being a cold-blooded killer? Don't you think those moral codes would have Stepped in somewhere along the line before the guy was like, yeah, I'll take some money and shoot somebody. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> that makes no sense. That makes no sense. 
can I fuck with Looper for you guys real quick? I, I just want to say this while, while we're talking about shit that doesn't totally make sense. Real quick, real quick, real quick. Don't turn it off. Don't turn it off uh, unless you haven't seen Looper. All right, so if Bruce Willis kills the Rainmaker's mother, it causes the Rainmaker to become the Rainmaker. Correct. So in order for Bruce Willis not to exist, Joseph Gordon-Levitt kills himself. When Joseph Gordon-Levitt kills himself, Bruce Willis doesn't kill the mom and doesn't become the Rainmaker. Cool. Got it. We get it. Awesome. Wait a minute. No, it doesn't work. Because in Bruce Willis's flashback, where he becomes, where he starts from Joseph Gordon-Levitt, slowly becomes Bruce Willis, meets his wife, etc., etc., etc. The Rainmaker had a mother. Like, that's the rule. If the Rainmaker has a mother, he doesn't become the Rainmaker. But you never see the Rainmaker not have a mother in that storyline. Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? Do you get what I'm saying? When Joseph Gordon-Levitt becomes Bruce Willis and Looper, no one kills the mother. In that storyline, he totally grew up with a, with, a, with a mom. There was no Bruce Willis or anybody coming back and killing the mother. The mother survived in that one. So killing the mom doesn't make a fucking difference. He still became the Rainmaker with a mom because he had a mom then. Does that make sense? In the storyline where Bruce Willis meets his wife, no one took out the Rainmaker's mom in that storyline. He had a mom. He still became the Rainmaker. He still became an asshole. So really, Joseph Gordon-Levitt shooting himself helped the Rainmaker have a mom and become the fucking Rainmaker. It didn't make any sense. So guess what the only solution actually is to stop the Rainmaker? Shoot the kid. Shoot the kid. Old Bruce Willis was right. The only way to stop the Rainmaker, guess what? Shoot the kid. Oh, but he's a cold-blooded assassin. Now that's a cold-blooded assassin that makes sense. Shoot the kid. Shoot the kid. Shoot the kid. So, sorry I just took up the last five minutes of Geekscape with cold-blooded assassin talk. But remember, if you're at a point where you're willing to take money to kill people, the kid is where you get creative. All right, that's messed up. Uh, this is Geekscape. I'm Jonathan London, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jonathan London. And of course, Geekscape. You got to check it out. Geekscape.net. Support my boys who are writing. And uh, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Search for Geekscape. You'll find us. Be on the lookout for the Kickstarter campaign that we're starting up for the Dock of the Dead and the trailer. I don't think I'm that funny in the trailer. I'm in a little clip of the trailer. I will get funnier. I know I get funnier because I shot last week and I saw the edit. I, I, we worked on the edit today and I, I get funnier. I know I get funnier. Um, and I think the stuff we shot last week is awesome. Um, all right, so there's that. Uh, I'm going to try something new to close you guys out. Uh, I got this soundbite uh, from the people behind Silent Hill Revelation 3D, which comes out this weekend. And they started sending me MP3s to play on the show, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm only gonna show you guys, I'm only gonna play you guys an excerpt, which I think is cool. This is Michael J. Bassett, the director, and producer Samuel Hadida, and they're talking about playing video games. Someone asked Michael J. Bassett, "Hey, Michael, did you, how much of the inspiration did you take from video games, and do you play video games?" And I'll leave you with his answer right here. I'm a gamer of long standing, from before games were anything. Visually exciting at all. I remember playing Pong on my TV screen that my dad brought home when I was a kid. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I played games prior to Silent Hill, the, the adventure horror games, which like Alone in the Dark and the, the French-made game, Infogram games, you know, when it was just pixels floating around. <laughs> trying to, and they, yeah, that was kind of freaky. Um, I'm much more of a first-person shooter, so give me a, a, a keyboard and a mouse. Um, but I remember when, when the first Silent Hill came out and my friends were playing it as much as anything and it was that, that was the talk of the game world. What that game did and how it changed the perception of what a game could be was, it was a, a real starting point. The, kind of the adventure horror, n- not even the genre, it was just the use of narrative, the use of design, sound design and visual design. It was, it was, it was a hugely important moment for games across the board, I think. So yeah, I'm a gamer, I played it, I loved it. Um, I remember when we were deciding to make this movie, going back and revisiting some of that stuff and, and realizing the stuff that I'd missed. Just as a guy, I just play the game. I want to get to the end of the game, see what happens, kill the monsters. And suddenly you go back and you realize the depth of storytelling that the Konami team had put together was just extraordinary across the, all the games, even to, the, even to Downpour, the latest one. You know, there is storytelling of a significant level going on there. The, the key with this movie... Uh, revelation was really there was threefold and Samuel and I had talked about how we we're going to approach it we wanted to make a sequel obviously to the first movie because this is a sequel to that movie and the place that Christoph Gans and Roger Avery had left me with narratively I had to join the dots and and to con- continue her story so this is Sharon De Silva or Cheryl if you play the game so they changed her name there she has to become Heather Mason because game three really is the logical continuation of that story um, and also the movie has to work for people who haven't seen Silent Hill, the movie, or played the game, and don't understand any of that historical mythology. We don't do a recap at the beginning of the movie. You get plunged into a, into a straightforward story. So it has to work on three different levels. Um, yeah, absolutely, you're adapting Game 3. That narrative is really strong all by itself. And when you start pulling apart the, the elements of it and what I can use for movie storytelling, what I, the way I can make a human story of this girl searching for her father, which is beautifully a, a, a mirror reflection of the first movie, which is the parents looking for the girl, and how you can fold in the mythology of the Order, you can figure out why she goes back to Silent Hill, what the monsters represent to her in this new context, and how she discovers who she really is. Um, it's, it's, it's relatively easy. When the game storytelling is so strong, you can find those threads in all of that, um, and you can keep, keep within the boundaries that they're set, and yet have great fun playing within that that world. What I want them to understand more than anything is even if they completely disagree with the choices I've made or the team has made, it, it's done with respect and love for the games. You know, the fans first and foremost. And you know, what you need to know is the reason these movies even exist is Samuel Hadid, who's sitting right next to me, his son played the games as a kid. He watched him playing the games, knew that this was a completely new thing in terms of Laurent, who's now actually one of the producers of the movie, now he's all grown up. Um, yeah, he was he was frightened as a kid, and you it grew from being a fan, you know. And I mean, Samuel can tell you about that. But yeah, I I think it's true. And also, you know, even when Christoph, we were shooting Brotherhood of the Wolf at the time, and then I say, say, did, did you did you because he's a big gamer? Did you play Sanatils? Yeah. So he began to play, and every time at the end of the shoot, instead of seeing the dailies, he was playing the game because he had to finish it, <laughs> and it was on the dark, and it was at night. So. So I think that when we left uh, the movie uh, in 2006, uh, I think there was lots of fans coming in, and there was only three games. Now we are eight games. The fan base has grown up, and lots of people came and say, what's happening next? What's happening next? And, you know, uh, 
I think we arrived to a point that uh, we want we let our little girl Sharon that has 12 now six years later she grown up and she has exactly the same age that our character mm. so it's a nice way to unfold and then and, and when we met mm. we say the mandate was uh, you know to have a story on his own you know like the silent hill now to exist for people that doesn't know anything we have to respect the people of the game because if you don't respect the people of the game world they will send you know buzz and messages it stink it stink and everybody will not like to see the movie so we make sure that a friend michael went to see the team of konami we send the script we asked to akira yamaoka what he think about we saw some of the design and then you had the blessing and uh, of all the team so we knew that it's something that uh, had the seal of uh, the creativity of approval. Mm -hmm. So, and then uh, I think he made his job and a good job.